Now, a lot of times you'll hear us say, hey, you know, be reading through your Bible, grab a bookmark. We have them available as you go out the doors or at the information center. And if you're choosing to do that, then we're in the book of Numbers. And the other day I was actually reading um, through it, and they're talking about the um, offerings that the Israelites were bringing. And God said to Moses, accept the offerings that they bring and use it for the tabernacle. And I was reading that, and I was thinking, you know, even back then, Everything that the people brought to God, everything that they offered to him, it was used to advance his kingdom, to, to let people know that, hey, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's involved in your life, and we get to be a part of it. And when we're in this part of the service, that's exactly what's going on. There's a God who loves us, a God who asks us to be a part of what he's doing because he still wants to advance his kingdom. There are still people who need to know that there's hope, that there's an eternity, that there's restoration, that there's healing, that there's encouragement and peace. And so as we come to this, we give our offerings and tithes because God commands it, but we also do it because we want to participate in what he's doing, and we want people to know that we're here for them. We always say that um, we want to reach people one relationship at a time, and that's what we get to do. And we do it through our different ministries. We had our great pause marriage conference this past weekend. All those things is done with the hopes that somebody will know that wherever they are, whatever they're going through, there's a God who loves them, who loves them. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, don't feel that you have to give. If you're from another church, we understand that your tithes belong there, but if you want to give, that's something that we do. And if you're from New Hope, then we get to partner with God, and we get to say, we want to join you and partner with you as you advance your kingdom through what God is doing at this church. Would you bow your heads? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us to be part of your kingdom. Thank you for forgiving us and drawing us near to you. And so, Lord God, out of obedience to you, out of total faith in what you're asking us to do, we bring our tithes, we bring our offerings, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to take them to further and advance your kingdom so that others may know that you love them and that you desire a relationship with them. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're finishing the series, Life in God's Hand, and we're going to actually hear later on about having God's perspective. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as we go into President's Day tomorrow is how so many of our presidents had to make decisions based on God's perspective. And so today, Nale and Megan are going to share with us about that. Good morning, and welcome to New Hope Church. I'm Nale. And I'm Megan. Tomorrow is President's Day, an American holiday that was on February 22nd. But it wasn't until the late 1870s that it became a federal holiday. In 1879, President Rutherford B. Hayes signed it into law. In 1885, the holiday was expanded to the whole country. By the mid-1980s, Washington's birthday was known as President's Day as the holiday fell between Washington's and Abraham Lincoln's birthdays. In honor of our president's past and present, we now celebrate it every third Monday of February. We as a country must stand together, brother to brother and sister to sister, even if we don't agree on everything with the government. Today, Pastor Sheldon will be talking about life from God's perspective. Everyone has a different perspective when it comes to life. God also has a perspective. His perspective is the best perspective to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for our freedom and for your love and protection upon our families and our country. Please continue to guide our presidents and our leaders to have your perspective so they could lead well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now please welcome Pastor Sheldon. Thank you. He did such a good job. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Nalei. Thank you. Unbelievable. We, 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 are, we are safe. If we have children like this growing up in the Lord, oh, boy, we, we're, we're good. The church is good. Can we thank them again? And their parents. Thank you, mom and dad, parents. Just think about the world these children are growing up in. They are growing up in a world that is so different from how we grew up. And every generation is going to grow up differently. That's why we need God's perspective. And here's the greatest news. God's perspective never changes. It's always the same. He's consistent. He's faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is who he says he is. Therefore, we can become even that much greater because the world is going to change. The world, the politics of the world, the policies of the world are always going to change. The methods of the world are always going to change. But God never changes. So if our life is in his hands and we can learn what is God's perspective, boy, we'll be fine even when the world isn't. And so we get to learn today as we conclude this series how to have not just a good perspective but a God perspective. So you can take out your notes or your church app. And as we talk about this, we're all going to battle with perspective, every single one of us. But just imagine if our life was in the hands of God, and if we live that way, if we literally thought of every single day that my life is in the hands of God, that I'm not just existing in this world, driving to and fro, going to work, eating, sleeping, and, and, and traveling, but that my life is in God's hands. If we think that way, it changes everything about our life, our decisions, and everything we do. But even more than that, if we can gain God's perspective, like how we see things, how we see life, then it changes how we live. It changes how we respond and react to certain things that take place around us. But if our life is in our own hands and we see life through our perspective, we're done. Like how will we survive in a world that's ever-changing if we live life from our perspective? I look at life and our perspective and God's perspective like the game of chess. You know the game that has pawns and then you have the rook. What else do you have? You have the bishop, the knight, king and queen, right? Am I missing? I don't know. But I know, I know there's a king and queen. And I know for some reason the queen can do everything. The queen can go everywhere. But the king can only go one step, one step. That's all the king can do. I think, I think that somebody, like a husband and wife made this game or something. I don't know what happened. But in the game of chess, you would hope that you can at least know one or two steps ahead. Maybe three or four moves. Maybe if you're like a grand champion, you can know five or six or seven moves ahead. But in life, we only know one step at a time. Now, we can, we can make decisions best, uh, as best as possible based upon Okay, if I make this decision, it's going to cause this result. And if I make that decision and it causes this result, then this may happen. Now, I know we do that. I know we try to at least do our very best with what's going to happen. But that means we become a result-oriented people rather than an obedience-oriented people. 
Obedient-oriented people are the kinds of people that says, I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. God, you know. So help me to make decisions based on your perspective. Help me to live my life from your perspective. And help me not to get swayed by the ways of the world to now skew my perspective. Because your perspective is the best, I want to live my life according to the best perspective. If you view your life as a setback, guess what's going to happen? You're going to live life as a setback. If you view your life as a mishap, that's how you're going to live your life. If you view your life as a failure, then you're going to live life feeling like a failure. And everything is going to flow out of how you see your life. Everything that comes out of our life and how we live comes from our perspective about our life. James chapter 4 verse 14 tells us why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And then James asked this question, what is your life? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, what James is saying is life is, is so short and brief. So what is your life? If you think, oh, I have decades to go, I got, I got so many more years to go, I have another year, I have five months, we can, we can always say that, but we don't know what tomorrow will bring. James is saying, no, your life is but a mist, it's here today and gone tomorrow, therefore, make every moment count. Live life from the perspective of, you're, you may not live forever here on this earth. We have eternal life to look forward to, but what James is saying is here on earth, it's so quick. We need to answer the question, what is my life? What is my life? Because if we don't answer that question, we're not going to be able to determine how we're going to live out our life. We're just going to exist, and then whatever happens, we'll kind of go with the flow. But there's God's perspective, and then there's our perspective. God's perspective is way better than our perspective. Why? Because just like that chess match game, God sees everything not four or five moves ahead. He sees the entire game from beginning to checkmate. He sees everything. So if we have his perspective, we don't need to know all the moves. All we need to know is what he's saying and living life according to his perspective because every one of us will see life differently. Because we all have different perspectives. And every single one of us can live a blessed life. We can be successful. We're going to learn three qualities of life from God's perspective, how we can live. The first one is this, to learn your life metaphor. Learn your life metaphor. And I'll explain it a little, a little bit. Because God used, he uses a lot of metaphors. Jesus used a lot of metaphors in the Bible to explain what life was like. The first time I heard of this, it was a friend of mine who, who asked me this question. He said, what is your life metaphor? Like what does, how you think, how, do, how does it resemble your actual life? How do you think? And I said, what do you mean my life metaphor? I, 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 I love God. I, I live. He goes, no, but what is, what is your life metaphor? What does that look like? And so he started asking me questions because I said, I don't know what my life metaphor is. He said, so he, he kept asking me questions, and then he said this, oh, I know what your life metaphor is. Your life metaphor is a race. I said, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, every, everything is like a race to you, like competition, you know, speed and going fast and, and getting things done quickly. Like, that's your life metaphor. 
I said, that's not my life metaphor. How, how can that be my life metaphor? And Heidi was with me, and she says, no, no, that kind of sounds correct. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you remember your screensaver? And this was in the 90s. She said, your screensaver on your computer. Remember the words you put? What did it say? And I said, it said, run to win. And she goes, yeah, yeah. I said, but that was the scripture. The scripture in 1 Corinthians 9.27 tells us to run to win. She goes, yeah, but that's what you had on your computer. I said, yeah, but that's a scripture. And she goes, who's your favorite superhero? I said, Flash. She goes, right? <laughs> I said, yeah, but that's because he can run fast. She goes, okay, what's your favorite ride in Disneyland, California? I said, racers? It's because I like the movie Cars. She goes, what do they do in that movie? They, they race? <laughs> she goes, exactly. That's, that's how your life is. How long does it take you to make the bed? I'm like, a minute and 37 seconds. She goes, do you even time that? <laughs> so how can it not be a race? And then this morning while we we're praying, we we're in a circle before service. We pray together. And now you're going to watch for this. But when I pray in a circle, my legs are doing this. And I realized this morning that when I'm praying, I'm running. I'm like, let's go, God. Let's do this. Let's go save people. Let's come on. Let's go. And then on the outside, I'm like, Lord, I just thank you. <laughs> but on the inside, I'm running and running and running. Why? Because that's my life metaphor. And I literally run in real life. Why? So that I can go to Hawaiian Brain Freeze and eat ice cream. See, it all works. It all works hand in hand. God knows what he's doing. So the question is this. What is your life metaphor? And you can kind of tell what your life metaphor is by how you speak. Like, you know when we say things like, oh, you, you drive me nuts. Or like, man, you, 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 you need crazy pills. Like, we say these things and it, it kind of starts to define what is our life metaphor. My friend even said, one of his friends said this, that his life metaphor is that life is a war. Like, he always feels that he's battling. He's doing battle of some sort. Or life is an insane asylum. Or for some of us, we say life is a game. Life is a marathon. We have these sayings. And so we have to think about what is, what is life? What is my life? What is my life metaphor? I heard someone say this. I got this. Pressure is a privilege. I even heard people say I thrive under pressure. Like there's something that we say, how we feel, how we live out that shows us what our life metaphor is because you live out of your life metaphor. What does that look like? See, this, this perspective is so important because it influences our life, it determines our expectations, our priorities, our goals, even what our relationships will be like. And for some of us, we've been living from our own perspective rather than God's perspective. And maybe today, maybe God wants to change our perspective to now his perspective because it's a greater perspective than our very own. That's our Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's, that's where our, our thought life has to change. It has to change from our perspective to God's perspective. Then we'll be able to test and approve what, it, what God's will is. Because here's the second thing. Life is filled with tests. Life is filled with tests. Let me spell that out. T-E-S-T-S. -S. Here's why I need to spell it out. 
first service, someone comes up to me afterwards and, say, and they said, I thought you said, sorry children, parents, you're gonna have to explain this. She said, I thought you said life is filled with sex. <laughs> so I just wanna clarify that, <laughs> just in case. And she pointed to her hearing aid. So just clarifying that, sorry parents, this is a little PG, but just in case anybody heard differently. But life is filled with tests. They're filled with tests. And we're going to see life from God's perspective in a different way when we understand that the test will come. We'll always have, we'll always have difficulties. We'll have obstacles. We will also have times of the unknown. Like, you know when you just don't know what's happening? There's just an uneasy feeling. You just don't know what, like, I don't, like, I'm not going through a bad time, but I'm also not going through a good time. It's just like I've plateaued. And just life is now mundane. Well, there are tests that will come our way. And God puts us through these different tests because he wants to build us up. He wants to see how well we will steward what God has given to us. He wants to, to show us that life is just temporary. Did you know that God tested human beings from the very beginning with Adam and Eve? He created the Garden of Eden. And he put one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees they could eat from. You could have, you have mango trees, lychee, you had pomegranates, you had mountain apples, all of these different trees. I'm not sure if it was in that garden, but I just want to give you, they could eat from all of these trees. And he said, but there's just one tree that you cannot eat from. And that was their test. Imagine, imagine just walking by that tree all the time. You can eat all of these fruit trees, but this one you cannot, which caused curiosity in both Adam and Eve. Like, I wonder, like, I wonder what that would taste like. What would it be like? And of course, the devil came in and so crafty, he said, did God really say that? And they ended up eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They ended up disobeying God. That's, that's where sin came in. But that was the first test that human beings went through. And God put that test there not so that they failed, not so that they would give in to it. God put that test there so that they would pass and be able to strengthen their character, their integrity. Because there was an enemy. And God says, you need this test so that you can withstand the enemy. Not so that you give in to the enemy. And God is going to test us in all those areas. Loyalty, attitude, even our heart. We get tested every single day. You might have gotten tested this morning. Maybe on the way in, you fought with someone and now you're grumbling. Or maybe your children said, Mom, where's my shoes? I don't have my shoes. What? Why didn't you grab your shoes before we left? I thought it was in the car. Can we turn around? No, we're going to be late for church. What am I going to do? Nothing. Go bare feet. Too bad. Like, then, then it, it, it does something to us. I w when I was flying back from L.A. the other week, coming home, I get a text in the morning that my flight has been changed from 10 o'clock to 1.30. So I'm thinking, not that bad. 1.30, I can still make it home. I can, you know, connect back here to Hilo. And we have Sunday service the next day. So I'm flying in to be here in Hilo at 6.30. So everything has to go smoothly. Well, I get to the airport, and I like being at the airport like two and a half hours before I, I take off, just in case anything happens. Well, I go to the line, and because everyone has to change their flights, the line is super long. 
And it's also flights for what is now leaving. Well, I get in line and I'm thinking, how long is this going to take? And I hear over the system that there's a flight going to Maui. And it's going to leave in about 20 minutes. Well, I'm in the line and it takes probably around 45 minutes to get to the agent. Finally, I get to the agent and no big deal. Everything's good. And I say, oh, I need to rearrange my flight because of the, the cancellation. And she said, sure, no problem. Starts to reroute and try to figure out how am I going to get to Hawaii uh, or Oahu and then the Big Island or Maui. So they're figuring all these things out. And then finally, she figures it out. And then she says, you're going to go on another airlines. And then you're going to go to Maui. And then you're going to fly to Hilo. I said, perfect. Awesome. She said, the terminal is Terminal 7, so it's not that far. It was like a five-minute walk maybe. So I get out of line. I, I get out of the... Uh, I go away from where I was, and then I go to the, the Terminal uh, 7, and I check into TSA, and she goes, oh, you have the wrong airport. I said, wait, wrong, not wrong line, not, not wrong terminal, wrong airport. And this is LAX. I'm thinking, wrong, how do, wrong airport? How, how, did, how did Google Maps miss this one? So she goes, this is the wrong airport. And I said, how can this be the wrong airport? I just checked in. They rearranged everything. And she says, no, this is the wrong airport. She's looking at my ticket. And so I said, you know what? Let me try my app because I downloaded the ticket on my app. But it was for the flight that got changed, but it's still the old one. So it let me through. So I said, oh, okay. She goes, oh, good. You got that. So as I'm walking through, I'm thinking, why do I have the wrong airport? And what I noticed is I only have my ticket from Maui to Hilo. And I have the other receipts, you know, the other papers that they give you. And I'm thinking, oh, man, i got to go all the way back to, and stand in line for my ticket to go to Maui. So Heidi is texting me, and she's asking me if I'm okay, is everything all right? And so I said, no, i got to go back to get my ticket to go to Hawaii. And she goes, did you have to go to the airline's counter? I said, no, she didn't tell me that. I just, she said, go to Terminal 7. And then that's it, but I don't have that ticket. So I go back and stand in line and waited for another 20 minutes. And here is my thought process. Like, I've got to walk back and forth. Now I'm becoming a little bit agitated. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is now I'm walking back and forth. But that's okay because that's a little bit exercise, right? That's what we say. That's okay, at least I'm getting in some exercise. A little bit more ice cream I can have. So while I'm standing in line, everything was done. And the the woman saw me and she gave me a look like, are you lost? Like, why are you back here? And I said, oh, um, I didn't get my ticket from uh, here to Hawaii. I only have my Maui to Hilo ticket. She goes, oh, you're supposed to go to the counter. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's what Heidi said. <laughs> and she's not even here. That's why I need my wife. So she, she, and, she, and then she notices that, well, I didn't tell you to go to the counter, which maybe she should have because I'm a man. I'm not putting down men. I'm just saying I don't think that detailed. So finally she was able to, on, on her app, rearrange everything and then share her file with me. I'm sorry, I'm talking gibberish. Basically she got me my ticket. So I had her, my ticket on my phone, went back to TSA, and the lady looked at me again like, what are you doing back over here, I was like, don't even ask. Just let me through. And so we got through. And uh, by this time, I'm feeling a little almost, almost like 
man, it could have been done better. You know, certain things could have been done better. Everyone was gracious. Everyone was great. Something was happening in me. And then I go to the TSA. Now, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with TSA in general. It just has to do with what I was going through. So I didn't know a new system was in place where the bins show up magically underneath the thing. So I'm looking for the bins, and the guy goes, under. I was like, huh? He goes, under. I'm like, under? Oh, the bins are under. Okay, got it. So I take out the bin, and it feeds like Pez, you know, the candy. So it keeps feeding, and I'm putting all of this on. And then I really sense the Lord saying, they don't know who you are, but I do. So can you be a little bit more encouraging to them? And you know how you can have that microsecond conversation with God? And so I was thinking, yeah, but I'm not the one who is, I'm the one that's, that needs to figure all of this out. And, and I'm the one that's going through the changes and all of this. And it's like the Lord says, do you know how many people they have to deal with? They have to deal with different personalities, different cultures, people who say things against them. People who blame them for a flight change or whatever. Like we take out our anger on other people. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to encourage these guys. And in my mind, I'm thinking, but what if they don't deserve it? He goes, do you deserve when I encourage you? I said, okay, okay, okay. So I told the guy, I said, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for all that you guys are doing. Man, you guys, you guys make sure we get through safely. So I just want to say thank you. And the guy went, oh, oh, you're quite welcome. I was like, wow, God, look, his attitude changed. He says, no, 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 your attitude changed. <laughs> it wasn't him. So as I'm going through the line, every single person, hey, thanks, man, thank you for all you're doing. Hey, thank you, thank you, ma'am, for what you do. You know, thank you for uh, all that you guys are doing and making sure we get on safely. And as I'm walking up, there's this one last person at the end just standing there. And he sees me, and I see him, and the Lord says, go encourage that guy. I'm like, I don't want to. Not that guy. And he says, go encourage him. And so I, I, I was going up the steps, and then I, I, I had to turn around. And I, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Danny, because he has a name tag. I said, um, I just want to tell you, thank you for all that you do. You're doing a great job. And he looks at me like, are you being sarcastic? <laughs> or are you for real? That's the look that he gave me. I said, no, no, seriously, Danny. Um, Things got changed. My flight got changed. But because of people like you, I'm able to get on my flight. I'm able to make sure everything's safe. You're making sure we're getting on safely. You're double-checking everything. So I just want to say thank you for all you do because you're, you might have been here from early morning. Thousands of people have gone by and have said things to you, have treated you poorly. I just want to let you know how grateful I am. This young man was like, yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Hey, man, you have a nice day. Like his attitude changed, but what I realize is it's not other people. It's how we respond to the tests that come our way. It will come every single waking moment. The test will come. The question is, how will we do when the tests come? Because if we wait for the test and then we say, okay, God, I'm ready, teach me. Too late. You don't prepare for a test when the test is there. No, you study ahead of time. When you get your driver's test, you don't wait till you get there and say, okay, how I drive? No, you get your permit and then you start, you learn how to drive. And you take the test not so that you just pass. You take the test so that you pass the test so that you can drive. 
There's a greater goal. And God says the tests that come your way, they're there so that you pass because I have something else in store for you, a promise up ahead. But if you're stuck at the test and all you do is grumble and complain because you're going through this, you'll never receive the prize at the end because you're stuck at the test. Life is filled with tests over and over. We'll get them. But we got to be prepared for that. That's God's perspective. If we have that perspective, then every moment that a test comes, we'll be able to pass for what is up next. Some of us were thinking, when am I going to get promoted? I don't, I don't get promoted. God is saying, because you're going through tests at work. Constantly test at work over and over. I'm testing you, testing you. The test will come, even in our own families. Our children will test us. Spouse will test us. But we also need to remember, even the devil will come along, but he will tempt us. He brings in a temptation, and God says, you know what? I will even use that temptation as a test, not to tempt you, but to test you, because there's a difference. God watches all the tests that we go through, how we'll respond to the tests. There's a man by the name of Hezekiah, and he was a king, a king in Israel, and he was being attacked. Israel was being attacked by the Assyrian nation, by, a man, by the king, a man by the name of Sennacherib. King Sennacherib came and he was saying that, no, don't listen to Hezekiah. God's not going to save you. But Hezekiah, he trusted in God. He trusted in, in, in God's power, cried out to God, and then God saved him. But Hezekiah also became ill, so ill to the, to the point where he was going to die. He prays to God and God miraculously heals him. But Hezekiah's heart became proud, which was displeasing to God. But then Hezekiah repented and so did all of Israel or Jerusalem. Therefore, God spared his life once again. And then Hezekiah, being wealthy and, and made treasuries of gold and silver and precious stones, he had all kinds of valuables, he built uh, buildings to store grain. So he was a wealthy man. God blessed him. But then, in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah. Why? In order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. You know what often happens is we rely on something or someone or our finances so much that God says, that's not healthy for you. And what God doesn't do is he doesn't leave us. Oh, he'll withdraw a little bit just so that we can know what's on the inside. Because we can say things on the outside. We can say, oh, no, I don't know God. Money is not my God. No, things are not my God. No, I'm not materialistic. And God says, well, let me just step back a little bit. Let me just watch for a moment what's happening. And for Hezekiah, he was being tested. And God wants us to pass those tests See, when God steps back a little bit, this tells us that God has such a powerful perspective that in everything we do, it matters to God. Everything we go through has meaning to strengthen our character, our integrity, and our personal development as believers, as Christians. God will test us so that we become stronger. And God wants us to pass. And he'll never allow any temptation to come into our life, even tests that come into our lives, that he will not give us the power to overcome and, and, and will not be so, so powerful that the, the temptation will overcome us. 
He's going to give us the power to overcome them. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us. That the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, a temptation is an enticement to sin. To tempt means there's a, there's, you're, you're trying what it is. It's, it's to see how strong something is, not so that it breaks, but you're testing it. You're seeing the integrity of something, whether a thing can be done or to make trial of. The test means for the purpose of ascertaining his quality or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. In other words, the test comes in to see what's on the inside. And God will always show us an exit, a way out. You know, in the Garden of Eden, you know what their way out was? God. Go back to God. The devil came in and said, Here's, are you sure that God said this? At that point, they could have said, let me check. Hey, God, what did you say again? I said, do not eat from this tree. Oh, yeah, he said not to eat. You said not to eat or touch. You added a word, so we're not going to listen to you. This is what God says. See how simple that is? When, when you're in that test, go back to God. That's his perspective. He's, he's going to give you his perspective. That's the way out. He'll always show us a way out. God never tempts us with sin, but he'll use that temptation to strengthen us. That's why the Bible says when Jesus said, this is how you pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from sin. Deliver me from evil. Because we don't have the power, but he does. James chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is why God wants to teach us how to be wise stewards. This is why we need to understand the tests that we go through. You see, when we receive from God, we're not only going to need good stewardship to manage what he blesses us with, but we're going to have to understand that, that our life has meaning. And when we understand our life metaphor, we're going to be able to see the test, be ready for them, and pass the test so that we can receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And let's not forget this. The third thing is to steward well what God gives to us. Stewardship. God gave us certain things to steward well over them. God has given us time, energy, resources to steward it well. It all comes from God. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. We don't own anything. Everything is on loan. That's why we don't take anything with us when we die. In fact, we say that in our very own home. When our children act up, right, and then they say, you know, uh, Dad, I, I want to use the car. And then they use the car, they come back, they come back late, they don't put gas or whatever it is. We remind them, hey, just reminding you, I'm letting you use my car. We emphasize my. That's my car. Or if they, you know, get some type of attitude, we say, just, just remember, this is my house that I'm letting you live here. This is my roof. These are my rules. You're in my house. Yesterday at our Paul's conference, we heard a speaker uh, talk about when he was a teenager that his dad reminded him about that because his mother, uh, uh, his wife, the, the child's mother, they were dating 
while they were married because he wanted his son to know that we're going to live here in this house a lot longer than you. You're going to grow up, you're going to move up, but we need, to, we need to concentrate on our relationship too. And sure enough, he said, when I grew up, his mother and dad had been married for 60 years or 40 years. The reminder was, we don't own anything. God owns it all. So he says, steward well what I've given to you. Genesis 1.28, when God blessed them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You know what God was saying? If there was a billboard, God would have said this on the billboard. Take care of my things. And not as, as a selfish thing, but as a reminder that we're, everything that we have here on this earth is on loan. We don't take anything with us. But the good news is that God will restore even more when we get into heaven. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? God owns it all. Therefore, we should take good care of it. And at the end of our life, God will assess everything. And, and at the end of our life, he's going to assess it, and then he will reward us according to how well we took care of his things. And he even gives us an example of what happens when we manage his things well. He gave us a parable. He gave one this many, five talents, three talents, one talent. And he says, take care of my things. And then he came back. Two did something with it. One buried it. But look at what God says when we take care of his things. Matthew 25, 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You know what God was saying? Everything I do with you is all about my relationship with you. It's not about what I give to you, what you give to me. It's about my relationship with you. I want to celebrate with you. That's why for those of you who give, many of us, when we give to God, it's a celebration with God. It's saying to God, thank you for blessing me. I want to bless you back. Why? Because we have a relationship. That's what you do in relationships. You do that for one another. You bless one another. And when you do that with God, he says, oh, I have no problems with giving you more. Because you're stewarding well what I'm giving to you. You're not you're not hiding it. You're not keeping it all. You're saying, God, thank you. I want to give back to you because I know that you are going to do some great thing with it. Our perspective is, you know, I worked for all that I have. This, I, I made all of I, I did all of this with my bare hands. And it's like God is saying, well, who created your hands? Who gave you a mind to think? Yeah, God created us with certain gift mixes so that we could use it for him. Oh, we can live life on this earth. And he says, enjoy your life. Have, have a great time with your relationship with me and with people. But don't forget about me. Don't forget me. Because I am in this relationship with you, I'm not going to leave you. And God will bless. But he also, as this happens, he also... Where much is given, much is also required. Luke 16, 11 
tells us if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You know, it is interesting that God ties in money a lot. Like that's the one area that we battle with, finances. With everything that we do, because of the world we live in, it all comes back to how we're doing financially. Like we, we feel more secure when we have more money. But for some reason, even when we have more, we're still insecure. And we can see what happens in the world. I heard a story, and I'm not sure if this, is, this, is, this was on the news, but I believe this was the, the fires that were in California just recently. That a man didn't trust the banking system, electronics. And so he kept all of his money at home in a safe. When the fires came, even the safe burnt. It was that hot of a temperature. How much did he lose? $30 million. $30 million. If your security is in money, you're done. Just like that, it can be gone. We don't know what the world's banking system will be like. We don't know when the next thing will happen. We don't know. But we do know this. God is secure. God is faithful. God is sure. God can be trusting or trusted. Therefore, if if we steward well what God has given to us as if it all belongs to him, then when certain things take place, when certain things happen, it doesn't, it, it's not detrimental to everyday living. That's why for Heidi and I, when we first understood the concept of giving to God, whether it was of our finances, the time, our energies, serving, whatever it was, it was a no-brainer. I don't own this life. The moment I said yes to Jesus, guess what happened? He purchased me. He bought me at a high price. And the Bible says, therefore glorify God with your body. You know what that tells me? God will make my life better than what I could on my own. That's where I want my life to be. I want my life to be in his hands. I don't want it to be in my hands. I know what it's like for my life to be in my hands. In his hands, everything is so much greater. Luke chapter 12 verse 48 says, for Everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. That's what was happening when Jesus said, I, I, I want you to understand the difference between worldly wealth and the true riches of heaven. See, when we, when we understand God's blessings, the true riches, based on how we manage our wealth, which is worldly wealth, we're able, to, we're able to be in this relationship with God with no strings attached. That we're not, we're, not, we're not living life to say, okay, God, if I do this, then you have to do this. What we're saying is, God, I'm putting my life in your hands. I want the true riches of heaven. And for some reason, when we say riches, we think of finances. But Jesus made it clear it was never about finances. Stewardship was never about finances. There was something greater ahead. And when Jesus talks about the true riches of heaven, if we only stick to finances, oh boy, how small of a miracle and a promise 
that we're thinking of. But Jesus kept pointing us towards the true riches of heaven. But it'll begin with how we steward our worldly wealth. He said, that's where the test is. Where much is given, much is required, which means that the more God blesses, the more he expects. In the sense of, as we grow up, when our parents teach us something, they expect us to learn it. I don't need my mom to tell me today, brush your teeth. She did that for years. But I learned that. Now I do that on my own. God does the same thing with us. He teaches us something. And then now we know that. And now we can operate in it. Know your life metaphor. Start there. What is your life? Did you know that Jesus had a life metaphor? He was the Lamb of God. And because he knew his life metaphor, he was able to be that final sacrifice for your sins and my sins. And so by the time it came to the cross, even though Jesus struggled with it, he went back to the Father and he said, Father, can this cup be taken away from me? But not my will, your will. In other words, this is a test. But what is my life metaphor? I am the Lamb of God, therefore I will sacrifice my life for all of mankind. That's the test that Jesus went through. And Jesus stewarded well what was given to him. You know what's given to Jesus? Here's what was given to Jesus. Your future and my future. For eternity. And Jesus stewarded that so well that he said, sin is separating mankind from you, God. I will go and be the final sacrifice to pay the price and the penalty of sin so that everyone that you have created will have the opportunity to be in heaven with us for eternity. That's the promise of God. That's life in the hands of God. That's the perspective that you and I should have. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you were given so much responsibility. And at the same time, because you were given so much responsibility, there was much expected from you. And you paid the high price for our sin. I pray for all of us today that we would learn our life metaphor. To understand that life is filled with tests we will, we will have obstacles, but we also should remember that it's, it's all because of what you have given to us and done for us that we're able to steward well what you have done and given. So help us to be that kind of people. Help us to spread that kind of perspective in our world. We don't want our perspective. We want your perspective. And I pray that you give that to us every single day of our life. Lord, tomorrow is President's Day, and we do pray for our government. We do pray for our president. We pray that you give him godly wisdom, that you would help him make wise decisions. And we all know that in this presidency, there are many goods and not goods. There are things that happen that we have no 